0: And again, take your Bibles. Cast your eyes on those words, God's words, God speaking to us. In John chapter seventeen, we begin reading in verse twenty. This morning, and Lord willing, we'll we'll proceed to the end of the chapter. Again, guests, we're glad to have you. We do hope you took a moment to fill out the register. Uh, and let us have some information so we can reach out to you. If you don't hear from us this week, that means you didn't. and Or it fell through the cracks somewhere. But uh, Lord willing, those cracks will be smaller. And we won't, we won't be losing that information. We we'll look forward to hearing from you. I do not ask, Jesus prayed, on behalf of these alone. But... For those also who believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. So that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may... See my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. And will make it known, so that... The love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Father, thank you for that great truth. Thank you for giving us a hunger and thirst for your word. With the psalmist, we we acknowledge your word is as sweet as honey. It's wonderful. We can't get enough of it. We pray that you would give us a greater hunger and thirst, that your spirit might illuminate our minds even now in this hour, in this brief moment that we might not leave as we came, but we'd love you more. We'd realize our, our union with you more. We'd realize that we are reflective Agents on this earth of your glory. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This latter part of the prayer is uh, without a doubt uh, the most uh, remarkable and the most uh, incomprehensible of the whole prayer. If you were reading along as you should have been then you probably were quite perplexed by some of this and you read it and thought, my goodness, I don't even know what this means. I mean I know what it says but I don't really know what this means. Perhaps you read it ahead of time as many of you I know do. In preparing for the Lord's day, you do prepare for the Lord's day. Uh, that's a given for a Christian. That's not an option. And uh, you probably read it and thought, "Whoa, this is this is uh, this is above my way of thinking." That would have been a very Pauline way to approach this, and understandable. So, for a few minutes, let's look at it and see if, see if we can come to a little better, real realization of this passage. Not just, and uh, just not knowing what the words say, but what Jesus has actually prayed for us, and so what, what we will, what we will experience as Christians. We are at the end of the prayer. This magnificent prayer. It's, uh, it's a prayer that the Savior offered on the eve of his crucifixion. It's a prayer that he offered on behalf of his church. It's a prayer that he offered on the basis of the merits of his great sacrificial work, that those merits would be applied to us, that we would benefit from all that he has accomplished as I've said more than once in the past few weeks, we should never ever doubt that this prayer has been is being and shall be answered by the Father. How could it not be? It's a perfect prayer offered by the perfect high priest for an imperfect people. But see, Our imperfection is not a problem for God. And his son is praying for us. Well, I told you we'd eventually get to verse 20, and we eventually did. And this is where the Lord shifts his attention just for a moment from the disciples who were immediately around him, those that were working with him in the cause at that time, And he shifts to those who would believe later on. So that we could read this prayer and say, ah, the Lord prayed for us. And that's right there in verse 20. That's the first point. Jesus prays for successive generations of believers. Verses 20 and 21. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. You remember that he has prayed already for the immediate disciples so that they would be certain of their standing, who they were in Christ, so that they might uh, be protected from the evil one. And he's prayed for the disciples that they might be sanctified. Sanctify them. He prayed in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And now he doesn't ask on behalf of these alone. Now, it's the way Jesus, the way Jesus does this here, you realize, oh, so he, all that that he's prayed wasn't just for them alone, the disciples at the time, but it's for someone else also. And then he says who that is. Not for those alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. So all of a sudden, everything he's prayed beforehand becomes applicable to to us. Those who believe the preaching of the apostolic succession. That's who he's praying for. So he prays for us. He prays for us to be protected. He prays for us to realize who we are in Christ Jesus. And he prays for us to be sanctified. And notice the constancy here of of the word. the, The centrality of the word. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So they believed... In his preaching of the word, and we're going to believe the same way through the preaching of the word. It's the same word, just different preachers. And this is consistent, isn't it, with what Paul says in Romans? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the preaching of the word. That's the reason. It's always sad when you hear someone make these outlandish, unbiblical claims that, oh, I'm a believer, but I just don't i don't have any need for the church. You know, I can worship God just as well in the mountains, on the trails on Sunday, or on the golf course, or at you name it. And the simple answer to that is, no, you can't. You're just your own little God, is what you are. Try that on your friends next time they tell you that one. Just say, no, you're just your own little God. That's why you're happy. You're just worshiping yourself. Because that's what they're doing. They have to hear the preaching of the word in order to have faith. And so the Lord prays for us. As one commentator says... Jesus prayed for the church then and for the church to come. As I've said, the centrality of the word, it's always the same, never changes. And notice, I hope you noticed, I tried to emphasize this as I, as I moved through. Did you notice how many purpose clauses there are in this portion? How many times the word that or so that appear in these verses? You, know, you should pay attention to those kind of things. The therefore kind of jumps out at you because it's usually right at the beginning of a, of a sentence, but the the purpose clauses can kind of get buried in there, but they're easy to identify. They're that and so that. So as he as he works through this, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, so that, they may all be one. Isn't it interesting? This is, this is something covenant theology has that no other theological system has. corporeity. Corporateness. We know nothing of individuality. We know the church. Christ died for the church. He gave himself for the church. He died for the bride. And the bride is the church, the household of faith. And you notice here, he's praying for those who will believe through the word of the preaching of those who follow through with the apostolic preaching. And here's the purpose. So that they, plural, may all be one. This is not about one being many. This is about many being one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us. So the gospel is supposed to save us from our sins, bring us into adopted standing in the church so that we are part of a whole. We're no longer one out on the running trails. We're no longer one out on the golf course. We're not only, no longer one on the trails in the mountains. We are part of the whole. The one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So the purpose is for us to all to be one so that we may all be in him. It's remarkable, isn't it? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We just confessed. Now you understand why, we, why I, I picked the Athanasian portion that I did. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but they're one. So Vidal over here is not me. Aria back there is not Malia. But they're one in Christ. are one in Christ just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one and you can't divide them that's what's always sad about a church that, that goes through a division is that it's so contrary to God and it's so contrary to the Bible that's why you fight hard and long not to leave a church. One of the saddest things is when somebody comes and says, You know, I've just, you know, we're, we're going to be leaving, Pastor. We're just, we're just, just not a good fit here. My first thought, way back here, away from my tongue, is, You're not going to be a good fit anywhere, but that never comes out. Then I try to find out what's why. Why would you divorce yourself from God's people? I mean, think about it. That's, that's what's happening. Because we took vows. Jeremy and Brandy took vows last Saturday till death do us part. You hear people stand here at the front all the time taking vows. And we leave because it's the American thing to do, but it's not the biblical thing to do. We are united to Christ, and through union with Christ, we are united to one another, and we're united to one another, we're united to Christ and to the Father and to the Spirit. And did you notice what the whole purpose, the the ultimate purpose in in these two verses is? So that, we might say "This this is the pragmatic purpose, if you want to put it that way. The theological purpose is that we're united to one another, we're united in God, in the Godhead. Now, we're not united in essence like the Son's united in essence with the Father and the Father with the Son and the the Son and the Father with the Holy Spirit, but we're united spiritually, okay? Don't get into this thing where suddenly we're beatified. We somehow share in the Godhead. We've got the essence of God in us. That is a world religion view that's not biblical. It's a spiritual union, not an essential union. It's important to keep that in mind. That's the theological part of this, what Jesus is praying. Here's the pragmatic part. Here's the practical part, if if you want to differentiate them that way. So that the world may believe that you sent me. You're like, Oh, this has an evangelistic point? It does. If you don't have your Bible, shame on you. When you get home, open your Bibles and look at the verse and you'll see it. I didn't make it up. Our unity with one another and our unity with God will draw people to Christ so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, we can look at this from the negative side. How many times have you heard people say, well, I don't go to church and I don't believe because I've seen those Christians, the way they talk about one another, the way they love one another, and the way they flip from one church to the next church. Everybody's heard that story, right? So our division, our divisiveness, our schismatic relations doesn't accomplish so that the world may believe. But our unity will. He moves on. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Now he's shifted. He's no longer talking specifically. Now he's gone general again. He's prayed for the individuals, the disciples around him, and now those who will come through the preaching of their word. And now the glory which you have given me I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one I and them you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me so here point I want you to get the unity the unity that Jesus is talking about and the effect it will have on on the outreach of the church into the world isn't just A localized unity. In other words, it's not just for us in this room. But I'm I'm just I'm I'm as pleased as Punch, as they say, to be able to say that we are united to our friends down the hill, literally, down the hill, at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. They believe the Bible, they preach the Bible. We have some differences on some some tertiary matters. But our unity is beyond these walls. Because God is beyond these walls. We need to never lose sight of that. And you, you, now it's getting even more confounding, isn't it? We're not just united spiritually, not essentially, but spiritually to one another, to Christ, to the Godhead. And that is going to be an important part of our ministry out into the world. It's essential to the ministry of the church that we have a spiritual union and unity but then he brings up this glory thing. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them. Really? The glory which Christ possessed from before the foundation of the world, before he was incarnate, from eternity, the, the, the glory... That he prayed for in those first six verses. That he was looking forward to resuming in its fullness with the Father on the throne. He now prays for that glory to be given to us. You say, well how can that be? Because when we looked at those first six verses. That glory we learned was Christ's exaltation his being praiseworthy his being so we're supposed to be praised we're so we're exalted like jesus well no obviously not is the answer to that because we're we're creatures we're not the creator When John fell down at the feet of the angel, the angel got spooked. Get up! You only worship God. You only praise. You only exalt God. So, what's, what's Jesus doing to us here? The glory which you have given me, Father, I've given to them so that they may be one just as we are one. And we go back to Moses. The glory of God was, just to put it in a, a, the only way I know to put it, the glory of God was all over Moses. Did you notice that as we read? Everybody noticed it. So much so that Moses had to veil his face so that they could stand to be in his presence. Because Moses was reflecting the holy, holy, holy one that he had been with. Like the moon reflects the sun. The mirror reflects our image. Here's, here's the glory that we get. We're image bearers. And as we come into union with Christ, into union with the Father, into union with the Spirit, we reflect the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We reflect them in our speech. We reflect them, you know. There's going to be times You're going to say, oh, so we'll always be loving and kind and, yeah, and sometimes we'll be rough. What? Yeah, remember Jesus. He turned over the tables in in the temple. We'll We'll reflect the nature and the work of God as we go day to day. Jesus came to seek and to save. We'll go to seek and to save. Jesus didn't come to be served. He went to serve. He came to serve. We'll go to serve. We'll be reflecting the glory of God when we do that. Do you ever think about that? When When we're speaking the words that God has given us, we're just reflecting what Jesus did. And he did it with his glory surrounding him, overshadowing him, surrounding him. You see, I mean, this is, oh goodness, we need to think deeper about this, don't we? I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. He said, you could, they're going to be complete, That's what perfection means, completeness. So that they may be perfected. And he doesn't pray, do you notice? He prays that they are. I and them, you and me, so that they may be. And the tense there is accomplished. It's a done deal. This is who we are. We're unified. We're in unity with one another. We're in unity with God. And one of my favorite. It helps you understand so many things. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, and that last letter to the seventh church message to Laodicea. He who overcomes, talking to the church, he who overcomes, talking to the church again. Overcoming, persevering to the end, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is it. This is what John's talking about. John knew exactly. John, Don't you know when John recorded this in Revelation chapter 3 that he he, he thought about this passage? Christ is in glory, in session with the Father on the throne. The power of the Father, seated with the Father. And John would have thought, I in them, you in me, so that they may be perfected, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Oh, my goodness. Jesus prayed for us to be with him where he is. I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. That's, that's the ultimate. Revelation 3.21 is the ultimate fulfillment of this prayer. But in the meantime, what does Paul say in Ephesians? We are seated with him in the heavenlies. Physically? Literally? No. But spiritually we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's how we share in the glory of Christ right now. Not just in the way we do, but in who we are. United to Christ. Is this about to blow your little brains like it did mine for the past few weeks? Because we think about our union with Christ and we're just... Tickled to death about it. So happy about it. But then we think, man, that means that we're, we're sharing in the glory of Christ. The glory that the Father gives to the Son, he gives to us. Yeah, and it gets more. See, I'm just I'm skimming right now because of the time. Did you notice the end of verse 24? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. Notice back to the whom you have given me theme. Very particular Right? We're not generalist. We're particularist. Jesus is particular. That's why we are. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Another purpose clause. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. Back up to verse 23, that last purpose clause, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, it's one thing for us to understand the glory of God that is ours now, that shared spiritually ours because we're united to Christ. But wait a minute. The father loves me and you, if you're regenerate and believing, the same way he loves his son? That's what it says. And the Lord prays that the world will know this. The Lord Jesus wants the whole world to know that the Father loves us as much as He loves His Son, and in the same manner He loved His eternal Son. Next time you you you, you slip into one of those modes of, well, I, I you know, I'm struggling with my faith. Is my faith strong enough? Is I, am I really saved? Is Jesus really the son? Yes. Is he really loved by the father? Yes. Does the father really love us the way he loves his son? Yes. Then you're okay. If you're in Christ, that's as secure as you can be. And it's so big a deal... It's such a big deal that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. He says it again down in verse 26. I I've made your name known to them and will make it known again so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. His love isn't just on us and toward us. It's in us. And that's the reason we can be unified, is because that love is in us. The love that the Father has for the Son, that same love is in us. How can we not love one another? If God could love us as sinners and save us, we can love one another as saints. You don't know how big a deal this is? John tells us how big a deal this is. He. I've pointed this out to you several times over the past few weeks. John picks up all these threads, so many of these threads through the gospel, and he, he keeps on with them, whether it's in Revelation, like we just read, or in 1 John. And let's just look at that real quickly. Time's gone, I know. But look at this. We love... Because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Calvin on this verse says... How can we love God if we do not love the very image of God? You understand what Calvin's saying? We bear the image of God. How can you look and say, "Oh, I don't I don't love I don't love Sean back there?" When he reflects the image of God. Well you wouldn't love God then. That's what Calvin's saying. That's what John said. John got it from Jesus. That's how important it is for us to be in unity. In love. With one another. And beyond. Beyond the walls of this church. And oh, by the way, oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I've made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And don't forget the purpose clauses above that say, our ministry... Our ministry, as Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians, of reconciliation, our ministry of evangelism depends on this, y'all. Jesus has already said that the world will know us by the way we love one another. How much does God love us? Well, he loves us like he loved his son. One commentator says, you know, it's one thing for Jesus to say that he loves us so much that he will be with us. We saw that in John chapter 14. It's another thing that he loves us so much that he'll be in us. And that's the love of God for his people. So, how loved are you? And the answer to that then will be the answer to how much do you love one another? And how much do you love others in general? Because you're going to love them the way you're loved. He first loved us. Father, thank you. This is, a, this is above our, 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 our ability. Give us your spirit to help us understand these wonderful truths. And may we leave this place not only theologically thinking about these things but practically living them out so that others may believe that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to save sinners. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.